New Testament. Uh, <clears throat> and we'll uh, we'll read we'll read from verse one just to remind ourselves a little bit about what was preached um, not last Sunday but the Sunday before I think when Sean was preaching on verses one to six and we'll continue. Verses 7 to 16 this morning, see how far we get. But let's read from verse 1. It will set the, uh, the context for us. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing, says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high... He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying Of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him. In all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's ask the Lord's help with the word, shall we? Father, we are so privileged, unspeakably so, to have the Holy Scriptures inspired, preserved, kept for us, and to have our own copies to read in it. Lord, help us as we look into the scriptures this morning to take hold of Christ and to keep thy word in our hearts and to bring forth fruit with patience. Amen. Amen. I was uh, thinking a bit of Sean as he preached through this and scurrying at the last, you know, as the moments fleet away as the uh, tyrannous clock ticked on and he had a few verses to uh, skate through and I thought, I wonder if he'll go again and spend a bit more time on the last few verses. He'd certainly be welcome to do so, brother. I mean, each one of these could be a sermon. One, um, one body. How much time could you spend on that? One spirit, uh, one calling, one Lord, one faith. So much there, and um, I'm not going to to do that this morning. Um, Sean's welcome to 
finish up what he felt constrained to, to shorten next time, brother. But it's still an important context, right? He didn't just write verses 1 to 6 and then new chapter and so on. He, he wrote a letter in the flow of the word of God. And as he starts this part of his letter, I therefore, right? The therefore. He didn't write chapter 4, but the therefore is an indication that this is a, a thought that is based on things that are preceding. It is, in a sense, a natural division in his thought and presentation. And he's writing and beseeching us that we would walk worthy in lowliness and so on. And he, he addresses the fact there's one faith, one body, and, and, uh, and he goes through that. And that's the basis for what we're looking at this morning. He says there's one body, one God, one Lord, but unto every one of us is given grace. Like to share in this passage, verses seven to uh, to sixteen, three thoughts <laughs> each. The glorified, the grace, and the growth. Those are the three portions here. Christ is glorified; He gives grace so that the church may grow. That's basically His His theme. And although verse. Uh, Verse uh, 7 comes before verse 8. He, he can't get away from it. Unto every one of us is given grace. And he has to tell us where this comes from. Verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And then he can't help himself by the spirit that constrains him, but tell us about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And let's be clear on this, brethren. Uh, our friend, uh, some of us are acquainted with, uh, Muslim, want, engaged. Uh, I stopped by to see him months and months ago. and He showed me a book he'd written. And, uh, well, before you knew it, we were having a dispute on the Trinity. And as a Muslim, he would claim that the, it's just a logical impossibility and so on. We had a uh, you know, lovely um, debate for about five hours. Um, the time flew by. We forgot to eat. And uh, at the end, he said, man, this has been the best part of my week. You know? um, but he was a bit nonplussed when I said, listen, the, the primary difference between um, Christianity and Islam is not the Trinity. That's not the, the main issue. He says, Yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That is what sets the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from everything else. It's not like the doctrine of the Trinity kind of just dropped down from heaven fully developed. The, the church spent time discovering the glory of Christ. But what was clear right from the start was the belief that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to take away sins. Now it's kind of like, now what do I do with that? Because he wants to argue on the Trinity. And we can get to that second. But let's talk about Jesus taking away sin. That's the thing. And Paul can't get away from that. Uh, and by the way, in case you meet people who want to argue, there is no debate about it. 
people try and say, and, and he did say that early Christians were Muslims. But actually, there is zero evidence for that. All of the evidence from the Bible, from historians, Greek and Roman, is that the early Christians all believed with utter conviction to the point of willingly dying that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for their sins. There is no possible dispute on that fact, that that is what they believe. Some want to dispute that that he actually did take away sins, atheists and others. But there is no possible credibility to the notion that the early Christians believed anything different from that. Even Bart Ehrman, what's his name? Famous New Testament critic and scholar who is an atheist. Even he acknowledges that the early Christians believed that Jesus Christ died and was buried and that the tomb was empty. Now he's an atheist. And he acknowledges that there is no good explanation for why the tomb was empty. And they have tried to come up with other explanations other than the resurrection. I think the latest one was hatched in about 2017. And at the end of it, the author, and I can't even remember what it was because it was some nonsense. Even at the end of it, the authors, these scholars, pointed out that admittedly, something like this is hard to believe. But it's easier than believing in the resurrection. Do you understand? They have no evidence. They've basically decided he can't be Lord, so let's come up with something else. And so far we haven't come up with anything good. That's basically it. 2,000 years of trying and that's where they're at. So let's be clear on that. And Paul can't, um, can't get away from this. <clears throat> now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. This is an interjection. This is a, a brief segue, an excursion such like some of us like to do. Or, or can't help doing. Uh, <clears throat> so we've got um, the gifts. And then Christ when he ascended gave these gifts. And how could Christ ex- ascend if he hadn't first descended? And you say well where is the crucifixion in this? Alright well we have to look at the language. And the apostle. Remember he's rabbinically trained. He's steeped in the Old Testament. And he uses all of the Jewish, biblical and Hebrew idiom. In that, um, Psalm 68 is what the Apostle is quoting. And these things are, are so helpful for us as the Apostles teach us how to read the Old Testament and how to derive meaning. Um, some of the quotes that the Apostles use quoting the Old Testament scriptures are interpretive. right? So they don't quote literally word for word what was written. They explain what it means when they quote it. So uh, in Psalm 68, I think it is. Now this is a psalm I think most commonly believed uh, to be written by David when the um, Ark of the Covenant was being brought to him. You remember from, um, uh, I forget where it was, and then, you know, Uzzah did his thing and perished, and it was there in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, for a while, and then he brought it up to Jerusalem. 
biblically. He went back and read his Bible and thought, oh yeah, we shouldn't just make this up. We should do things God's way. And the priests were carrying it and there was great sacrificing and so on. And as the ark was returned and, and brought to its, uh, its place in Jerusalem, David was inspired to write this psalm. I think that is what is commonly believed about the timing. You know, the psalms are, are uh, written, inspired by different occasions. Psalm 51 is famously after David's repentance with Bathsheba and so on. <clears throat> Verse, uh, Psalm 68, verse 18, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. And there are disputes, you know, Bible commentators read these things, and was this a messianic psalm? They don't think so. And Well, I'm with Paul on this one, all right? That uh, this applies to Christ and that uh, we know already that the scriptures and the Psalms in particular often have the truth of Christ overlaid on the plain text. That's very clear and God did that for us that uh, in the fullness of time it might be revealed. Now... Some take this, we're here in verses, um, well, briefly in verses 9 and 10 in Ephesians 4. This phrase, the lower parts of the earth. And some have this uh, mystical notion, you know, that it refers to the um, um, deceased spirits and so on. I, I would suggest that a simpler view is that he's contrasting heaven and earth. There's a couple of, phrase, couple of times that phrase is used in the Old Testament. Let's look in Isaiah, well, while we're in Psalms, Psalm 139. Right, famous psalm about how intimately God knows us. Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Look down, the the psalm, verse 13. Thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me. In my mother's womb I'll praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so on, verse 15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, David's using poetic language. And the scriptures are full of poetic language. And we need to understand what they mean. They are things that are expressed poetically. It's not that David's mother was hidden in some deep, you know, like some science fiction journey to the center of the earth or something that was a thing 40 plus years ago, right, brother, on television or something. Um, And, you know, it's like this crevice somewhere and people found it and they could go down and all kinds of things discovered. It's nothing like that at all. It's poetic language. It's a secret place. His mother wasn't um, in some strange location geographically some um, hidden location 2,000 feet below the top of the earth or something. It's a poetic expression, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Low there meaning humble, right? In the belly, so to speak. It's not biologically the stomach, right? But the belly and the stomach are not necessarily the same. The belly is a geographic uh, geographic location of where the stomach is. So the womb and the stomach are both in the belly. That's how it would be considered. 
All right? And so this is the humble place. Um, look at Isaiah 44. I think we'll meet this, this term again there. I believe it's Isaiah 44, and if it's not, I'm in trouble. Um, Is it 21? No. Servant, cloud, return. Lost it. 23. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. O forest and tree therein. You can see this is all happening on the surface of the earth, right? It's the low, it's a humble. That's what lowest means. So in Ephesians chapter 4, when the apostle says that um, he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. It's not some mystic place, you know, thousands of feet below the earth's surface. It's the humble Look in Ephesians, uh, sorry, in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let this mind uh, be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he's in heaven, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Now he's on earth and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the same thought. It's the same truth that the apostle is expressing in Ephesians chapter 4. And he does it as an interjection. He has preached it so much. This was everything to Paul. When he was amongst the Corinthians. Not far from, I think he'd come to Corinth from Athens. Athens was not a very fruitful field for Paul, if we remember from the book of Acts. So all these philosophers and high-minded and highfalutin people who think they're so smart, uh, right? Very common to man. You know, some have commented that uh, statistically, on, on, you know, when they measure IQ, that on average Christians are stupider than, and believers are stupider than atheist people. Less, less intelligent, lower IQ. On average, statistically, all right, let's go with that. I have no problem believing that's true, Paul says. But it's not what you think. It's not what they think. It's not because you have to be stupid to have faith. Because all sorts of brilliant people believe. It's because when you're smart, you're proud. Just They could do another thing that rich people largely don't walk with God. And really, really glamorous people like magazine covers, movie stars and, and so on. They don't walk with God. And, um, you know, people that are really big muscles and posing in front of the mirror, they worship themselves in the, in the mirror, not God. It's not that being intelligent, you know, and you don't believe. It's that being proud you don't believe. Because the same statistical analysis you will find, really, really glamorous people, really, really rich people are the same. 
And they've not factored what the real issue is. It's not intelligence, it's pride that makes you an unbeliever. You forget that you're just a speck on a speck in a vast universe. You think you're something. Uh, you're bigger than all the other ants. And so you, think, you forget that you're really just a dot. That's the issue. But Paul is coming from Athens with all of these philosophers and so on. And he comes to Corinth and he tells them, I determine to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not coming with some smart philosophy and logic and going to try it. I'm going to tell you that God visited the world as a sin bearer to take away your sins. And if you will believe in him with all your heart, you will be made cleaner than the white snow. The guilt of it all will be taken away. That corruption that's like a bubbling septic oozing out of the ground will be cleansed and only purity will come forth from your heart, your mind, your lips, your body. All accomplished for you, friend, through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the thing. That's what Paul preached. He never got away from it. So here he's in Ephesians. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And he can't help but stop and mention the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's where everything comes. And I think if that's where the apostle was at, that's where I want to be at. I never want to get far from that. That's always got to undergird everything. That's a platform for any discussion about theology or religion, faith, love, and life. It would be like a man forgetting he was given birth. By, what do you think? You just popped out of the air? You have an origin. There's a little thing in your mother's womb. Don't you forget it. You came from nothing. Let pride be gone. He that ascended... This glorified one, what is it that he first, that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He was made in likeness as a man, humbled himself, became obedient unto death. And he's the same one that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. This is what we just read in Philippians. Right? So here he alludes to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. He wrote to the. Uh, um, the Corinthians, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach, by which ye are saved. Look at, let's briefly read it, and then we'll move on in our in the development of the passage. First Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. This is the gospel Paul preached, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Good news. Acceptable sacrifice. Now, from that position, verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And gave gifts unto men. And this Psalm 68 that we read. This triumphal entry of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it speaks of the triumphal entry of Christ into heaven. He ascended up on high. 
In Psalm 68, I think it says, He received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also. And it's a picture of a coronation. So look at it, uh, shall we? Uh, there's an example of this in First um, Samuel. Hmm, no, probably Second Samuel. Chapter 19. If we read, if we read about David's um, coronation as the king over all Israel, it's pretty uneventful. In or it's there's not a lot of pomp and ceremony. We um, our children conspired to send us to the uh, United Kingdom for our 35th wedding anniversary. Visited. Ruth's family, and while we were there visiting, we stopped in to visit Charles, and he wasn't home, but we did have a look at his house. Went through the inside and um, went to his home in Scotland as well. He wasn't there, so I think he really should do better. He knows we're coming. Anyhow, um, we are their king. king. I think he's a king of Canada still as well. And they have uh, this chariot there, or this carriage, you know, 4,000 pounds, covered in gold, useless, um, because it will collapse under its own weight, so it's up on blocks. They use it around every 20 years. The most uncomfortable thing, an ox cart is more comfy. The monarchs have all suffered through it, and none of them enjoy it, and, um, but there it is, you know, it's, it's the only thing like it. And so they, they have this thing. They, they use it primarily at coronations, right? There's all of this uh, grandeur and ceremony and pomp and um, just thousands upon thousands of people lining the streets. Coronation. David's coronation in Scripture is actually just they anointed him king in Hebron, you know. Now, David had quite the tumultuous time, right? The Lord enabled him to deliver Israel um, by smiting Goliath, there he goes out in his shepherd's gear. God loves to just um, rip the rug out from under pride, doesn't he? No armor, no special training, just a humble looking. The Philistine despised him. Uh, that the excellency of the power and the glory might be of God, not of man. Now, uh, and then the, the damsels are singing their praises, and of course Saul gets jealous, as, as proud men tend to, um, that you know he got some praise, but David's praise was higher. So David now became Saul's you know public enemy number one. He's a band of ragtag men follow David, and Saul's out persecuting him, and he's um, and David never never fought against Saul, and Saul was killed in battle by the Philistines. And Jonathan, David's friend was. And Jonathan, you know, different people misunderstand why Jonathan um, didn't go. Jonathan's heart would have been to go with David. But he set aside what he wanted to do and obeyed the word of God, honor thy father. Which, under the law of Moses, was the right thing for Jonathan to do. He perished with him in battle. Um, God knows how they ended up. Uh, the Jews seem to have a good opinion of Saul, and many of them name their children Saul. Saul of Tarsus was named. You know, I don't think any of them naming Nabal their children. But um, so they have their interesting ways of, of of making good out of bad. I can't tell you where Saul went to. 
in terms of whether you'll see him in glory or not. But Jonathan, I have no doubt, will be there in, in the uh, New Jerusalem. But that still didn't bring David to the throne. He ruled in, in Hebron. And Israel still kept with this house of Saul. And eventually, um, the, the one of Saul's descendants there, a bit of a lackey, got into a, a tiff with um, uh, Abner, I think it is. Not Ab, no, Abner. Yeah, I think it was Abner. There was two of them. One of them was Abner. And, uh, and Abner told him, listen, that's it for you. I'm going to bring this whole kingdom back to David. And eventually that happens, and they anointed him king. That was it. We don't get really a, a full-blown picture of the king coming into his kingdom. Until after David returns from this exile caused by his son Absalom. And that's actually where the scriptures give us a picture of David's coronation as king. And we get a picture of Christ coming into his kingdom. Let's look there in 2 Samuel chapter 19. I'll I'll just start with that. Um, I'm just going to break in in verse 22 and then we'll go back up and, and look at it. David said... In verse 20, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know, for do not I know that I am this day king over Israel. See? The scriptures are indicating that this was David's coronation. Not only had his adversaries been put away, but so had his sins. Absalom was raised up, stirred up by God. As a punishment for David's own trespass in, um, in the case with Bathsheba. And so although he had been previously anointed king, he recognized that he was now this day. Everything, everything had been dealt with. Let's look at, at, uh, at what went on there. So Absalom's dead. Against David's command as a loving father, Joab in his carnal zeal and his fleshly loyalty determined that Absalom must die and so he kills Absalom and then he tells off David for mourning over him and so on and the flesh is a dreadful thing it can lead a, even a good man astray verse 9 and all the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel saying the king saved us out of the hand of our enemies and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines brethren the crowd is fickle And Jesus knew this. And we have to learn it. Don't be moved by popular opinion. It blows with the wind. (laughs) Be moved by God and God alone. And people love you one day and hate you the next. (laughs) So, uh, here's here's David. The people uh, are all of a sudden, they're at strife throughout all Israel. The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land for Absalom, and Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? See, out of their own mouths, bringing him back. We ran him off. Now our plan failed, so let's bring him back. If you ask me, David was very gracious. With that, he could just have said, 
Uh, no thanks. You brutes. You traitor, traitorous, treacherous, fickle people. He was gracious, as was Christ. You, you see it even uh, a small thing in um, uh, Decapolis, where having healed the gathering demoniac, the people said, you know, go away. And not too long later, you'll see the Lord having denied himself the faithful followership of this delivered man. Sends him back to his family and friends and he does the work and Christ returns to bless those people. Let us always have a heart that is kindly disposed to those who have rejected us. Looking for an opportunity to bless them one day. David, King David sent to Zadok and to Barathar the priest saying, Speak ye unto the elders of Judah, saying, Why are the last to bring the king back to his house? You're my brethren, verse 12. You're my bones. Why are you the last to bring back the king? And he promises Amasa uh, some, some uh, promising. And so here, let's, let's look at this, all right? Let's re- take a bit of time and read this passage. Verse 12. You're my brethren. You're my bones and my flesh. Wherefore then are ye the last to bring back the king? And say ye to Amasa... Art thou not of my bone and of my flesh? God do so to me and more also, if thou be not captain of the host before me continually in the room of Joab. And he bowed the heart of all the men of Judah, even as the heart of one man. So they sent this word unto the king, Return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned and came to Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. Now, brethren, please pay attention to the details of what's going on here. He's coming. This is the king coming into his kingdom. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamin, a Benjamite. Remember who Shimei was. He was the one that chased David, throwing stones at him and cursing him. Earlier, when David fled from Absalom, Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Bahurim hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. Let's just pause briefly on Ziba. Ziba, when David was fleeing, met David with a lot of provisions. And when David inquired about Mephibosheth, whom David was lame, and David had blessed him as as the last descendant of Saul, and Jonathan's son was lame on his feet, and he had him eat at his table. Ziba double-crossed Mephibosheth and lied and said, oh, he thinks he's going to be king. He slandered Mephibosheth. And David said, behold, thine are all that pertain to Mephibosheth. This is earlier in chapter 16, I believe. There's two things going on there. Um, When David says, thine are all that pertain to Mephibosheth, That would only be possible if David returned again. David was speaking by faith. He couldn't enforce it as an exile. So he was expecting to return. He was still exercising his kingly prerogative. Um, And Ziba clearly was trying, had the heart of a usurper. And wanted to take what was Mephibosheth's and seize this advantage now to curry favor with David and to sideline Mephibosheth. Remember the psalm, Psalm 68. Thou hast 
ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also. Zeba was rebellious. All right? This is grace. For the, let's, let's carry on. So just pointing out some things. Let's carry on here. <clears throat> Zeba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they went over Jordan before the king. And there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, Neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And this is the verse we read earlier. And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king sware unto him. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and had neither dressed his feet, remember he was lame, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. He was mourning this loss. Faithful man in his heart. And it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not thou with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that didst eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy, matter, of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. Goes on, Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Regalium, and there's this exchange. Barzillai was a, a very aged man, and, uh, and the king says, Come, I will feed thee. And he says, Oh, I've got not long to live. And we'll, we'll pass over that just for the interest of time. I'll go over Jordan a little way in verse 36. Why should the king recompense at me with such a reward? Let thy servant, I pray, return back again. Verse 38, the king answered, oh, but he, in verse 37, but behold thy servant, uh, Chimham, it's not really how it's pronounced, but we'll go with it. Let him go over with my lord the king and to do with him what seemeth good. And David grants him that request. Verse 39, and all the people went over Jordan. And when the king was come over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and he returned to his own place. And the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went with him, and all the people of Judah conducted the king, and also half the people of Israel. And we'll leave the reading there. Brethren, it's a picture 
This is a picture of a coronation. A king is coming in and what you see is he is benevolently distributing gifts unto men. All right? Um, Ziba, he told him earlier, you have the land. Now he gets a whole story and says, all right, you two, you can each have half. Um, Shimei, you'll live. Shimei deserved to die. I know what he said to Solomon at the end, but this is a picture of Christ coming into his kingdom and distributing gifts for men. Life to him deserving damnation. Riches to him who has none. Pardon, clemency. This is a king coming in. Do you see it, brother? When he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. He received gifts for the rebellious also, for Ziba, for Shimei. He gave gifts. And so this is where that hymn, the comforter has come, right? Um, All these once were sinners. He maketh the rebel a priest and a king. It all comes from this magnanimous Christ. Listen, when, uh, when that thief on the cross, and I marvel at this thief. You know, people talk about the good thief and the bad thief. I don't know. I don't believe in Robin Hood. Um, he was being crucified for being a bad man. He knew better. What you have is a bad thief and a worse thief. And the worse thief is the one who got saved. Huh? How's that work? Because the bad man who railed on Christ was an ignorant, wicked man. And the other one was an intimate disciple of Christ who turned away from him. That's the only possible conclusion. He wasn't just dying there, looks at a stranger and says, Oh, this is the Son of God. This man had heard Christ walk with him. He knew him so well he could say with confidence, He has done nothing amiss. At some point he turned away from him, loving riches. Before Judas betrayed him, this man had turned away from him. Perhaps he had followed Barabbas, who looked like he was going to go in for the power and the money, and came to a just desert. He had known, was he one of the 70? I don't know. But he squandered an opportunity. He knew Jesus so intimately, he could say, this man has done nothing amiss. And how he had turned. Can you imagine? Having wasted the chance of a lifetime to have been a faithful minister of Messiah, to have been one in the company of the apostles, to have partaken in ministering the gospel and having wasted it so badly that you're being crucified for your sins, that even the world thinks you're so wicked you should be put to death. Can you imagine the guilt? Sorry, it's just over. Can you imagine being that man? Rejected everything God has given. Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes. Many righteous persons and kings have desired to see what you've seen, to hear what you've heard. This man had that. Walked away. Became a thief. Because he loved money. That's what we're looking at. You think a good thief. You call that a good thief. Don't know what gets into our heads sometimes. Uh, Forgive me. 
And on the cross, this man knew the scriptures. Let's think about the things he understood. <clears throat> he rebukes his fellow thief. Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Luke 23, verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Now here's Ziba. Here's Shimei. Worse than all of them put together. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. David, so far as I can tell, would have ridden on a horse. Jesus rode in on a donkey. And now he's crucified from the cross. This was his place of glory. He's dispensing gifts and grace. Pardon to the condemned. When he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. He started from the very cross to distribute what a king does when thou comest into thy kingdom. Some of us were talking not so long ago about this um, in Daniel chapter 7, if I recall correctly. Verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hairs of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. And he beholds the, the, the beasts uh, being destroyed. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions. And behold one like the son of man. Came with the clouds of heaven. And came to the ancient of days. And they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory. And a kingdom. That all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. The king came into his kingdom. And he entered through the cross. And then he rose again. He ascended on high. And Paul recounting all of this. In Ephesians chapter 4. Where we are. He says... Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. This exalted Christ. Now, remember where he's going in this passage, this, um, he, he, in this um, discourse. Right? He said, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. With lowliness, meekness. He says, there's one calling, one, one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all, right? Who is above all and through all and in you all. 
But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. This king who ascended into his kingdom distributed to all. You'd see, you know, that Psalm 68 where we read uh, about uh, this passage. He ascended, uh, he led captivity captive. And that's written about the, um, the triumphal entry of the ark into Jerusalem. And David sent everyone away with a, uh, a portion of, of meat and a flagon of wine. Every single person received a gift from the king. When he, see. These are the pictures for us. Now every one of the people of God has been given the gift of God. And we're going to see that that gift is for the ministry. We've, talk, we've mentioned these things before, brethren. People think, you know, what's my gift? And, and men have in the flesh come up with all sorts of trying, you know, answers. Because most of us are not preachers in the formal sense of the word. And, so, and then our, our church models have become, over the centuries, too um, front and center. Center, you know, a few people at the front. And some of them are... You know, they've got bands or choirs or something, and it's kind of a performance spectator thing. And that was not how the early church functioned, and that's not how we want to function. But within that context, people are, you know, what's my gift? And they've got, you know, well, you've got the gift of being a a bus driver for the Sunday school ministry. No, it's really, we've really lost the plot. Brethren, it's the gift. Every one of God's people has the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's God. Everything is therein contained. And we just need to get on with walking in Christ. Ministering Christ. If you're full of Christ, guess what comes out of you? Christ. When you minister Christ to your brother or sister, that's edifying. And it can be all sorts of things. It can be a prophetic word, whether you're conscious of it or not. Or it can just be a loving embrace. Just everything is Christ, all in all. We read about the, the, um, you know, the picture, the Old Testament prophets of the, the new kingdom. Uh, you know, the bells on the horses, holiness unto the Lord. Every detail, the ornaments. It's all Christ. That's um, just in our memories, right? The first deacon ordination. There were seven, right? Stephen, I think, was the first. And I think Nicholas was the last. And there was Philip. And there were a bunch of others that we don't remember their names. Well, some of you might. So we know that Stephen became a martyr. We don't read that he had a particular office or title. He, wore, he wrought wonders amongst the people. They couldn't resist the spirit by which he spake. Philip became an evangelist. Now, we would be mistaken if we just think of, oh, Deaconship is a stepping stone to promotion. That's the wrong concept, brethren. These men didn't start out with an aspiration to be deacons. Said, look ye out among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. I think it says even of honest report. These men were just being faithful brothers. God put them into deaconship. He put them beyond, they were faithful. They just carried on being faithful brothers. They weren't sitting there, I wonder, do I have the gift of being a deacon? Like, do, do you get it? 
And then as a deacon, Philip, you know, I wonder if I have the gift of evangelist. They just love the Lord with all their hearts and got on with worshiping and serving him. And God moved them. And that's what you and I need to do. But not be so self-centered and worrying about it. Imagine a baby lying there in his crib or in his mother's bosom. Wonder what my gifts are. It's not really, not really their concern. Do you know, can I share, as a father, and I know uh, I probably have lots of company if I say this. I know I'm not a perfect father. But there's something of the image of God that I think about each of my children. Lord, what's the best way for them? I study them and look for the aptitudes God has given them. And seek to provide opportunities for them to grow and go in the direction God has made them to go and to grow in. Even academically, got my firstborn sitting over there. And he's so glad that even as, you know, he's the experimental model, right? That must be payback that you get honor as a firstborn because you get such the the roughest, uh, most ignorant parent. You know, (laughs) we do learn over time. So you get some, just for having to go through the, the ignorance of your, your parents when they start out. But I remember, you know, I've got these ideals and so on. And, and uh, when, as he's coming into his teens, um, and he, he, he could do whatever we threw at him. But time, you know, he's itching to get out into the working world as a man, 16, and I'm wanting him to do calculus. Because, of course, you should finish high school with calculus under your belt, Right? He could have said amen, Storm, at the back, Joseph. But I'm observing that this is not his natural gift. And am I, as a father, shortchanging him? So I talked to some of the brothers, that are friends in the Lord, and we're friends to this day, who are engineers. And I talked to them about it. And he's a man that did cut, and they're engineers. And both of them advised me that it wasn't necessary. That if he wants to go in that direction, he can pick it up later, but confirmed and for me it was a step of faith you know was I being a failure of a father neglecting my child's necessary education and I just backed off on the academic you're just like glory you had no idea did you yeah yeah we just phoned Joseph on those occasions right and he's done that on the job hey Joseph I got a math problem for you took a step of faith um, because you know am I just being negligent as a dad but Matthew was never at six thinking, I wonder if I need calculus when I'm older. He never worried about these things. He just lived. It's the father's responsibility to observe his children and to direct them into the flourishing of their gifts. Now, if as mere men with our fumblings and failings we've got that don't you think our heavenly father knows what he's made us to be and we don't need to be stressed and worrying about that we just need to get on with being faithful worshiping him in spirit and truth with all our hearts he has it planned out for us i don't want to share too much he's not here to be embarrassed but um my daughter got married yesterday at 30. Her mom got married at 21. I'm thinking, no, 
Was she 20? I was 22. She was 21. Was she 22 and I was 23? You know, and so, was it too late and so on? You know, all the thoughts and, but it, the timing was perfect. For her mom at 21, for her at 30. We just came back from England and one of Ruth's cousins got married at 50 for the first time. God's made everything beautiful in this time. In terms of gifts, brethren, I know I spent a bit of time on that, but it's such a deep-seated thing in our day, in our culture, people worrying about what's my gift. Tell you what your gift is, it's Christ in you. It's a gift of the Holy Ghost. Christ died for your sins. And can I say this? And because he's given Christ to you and in you, he's made you a gift to others. Just be in him. He'll make you everything he wants you to be. Love the Lord with all your heart. Walk in the spirit. Serve him faithfully. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And God will direct your steps. You don't need to fret at all about any of those things. It's the truth. He gave gifts unto men. Look what he says. To every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And you leapfrog over that. Verse 11. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. So even there is a distribution. And we think in terms of rank and that's not entirely wrong. But if God hasn't made you an apostle, and he hasn't made any of us, I don't see any. Forgive me, brethren, I don't mean to insult anyone. None of us are apostles, right? Maybe a couple of us have teaching gifts. There's a variety in God, and think of the Lord's parables. You know, ten talents, five talents, and one. We all understand that a talent is a weight measure with a monetary value. Not talking about your piano talent and a talent for art, right? It's not that. The word talent is, it's, um, I think it's about 60 pounds of gold. A gold talent. I think that's how much a talent is. Uh, there's various, it ranges actually from 50 pounds to 100. And I think the biblical talent's about 60 pounds, regardless. So you can have a, gold, a talent of gold and a talent of silver. And he gave 10 talents to one, 5 talents to another, 1 talent to a third, all in between, each according to his ability. Now, I hope none of us, can you imagine, it's a carnal, some people would have been like this, I only got one talent, he's got ten. The mumbling, the complaining, the murmuring that some people don't shed from their childhood. But the Lord has no interest in that. No interest. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? That's a foot and a half, right? That's a cubit. On an average-sized guy today, foot and a half? You can't just decide, I'm going to be taller. No, being taller has its advantages. Getting stuff off the top shelf, you know, all sorts of things. But there's a variety. Accept, accept and rejoice in what God has made you to be. Be thankful. You're beautiful. I don't say it in a worldly way. He's made all things beautiful in his time. Rejoice in these things. 
He's distributed to each one the measure. Grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We're going to look at this. We're going a little over time. We did continue our prayer time a bit long. We didn't start as early as we might have given we had an extra hour through the night. But we won't take much longer. We'll continue on next week. He says he gave grace. And gifts come out of that grace. To everyone, grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In, um, In Romans chapter 12. It's a very similar, similar truth Paul brings forth. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God, as God hath dealt to every man. The measure of faith. And he lists, right? We have many members in one body. All members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. And he goes on. Prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Alright, let's think about this. I don't have from God proportion of faith to prophesy what's going to happen with the world economy. I marvel at some who think they do. Well, I don't. So I'm not going to try And if I comment on things as they're coming, I always speak as this is how it looks. Based on these things that are, that anybody else could look at. But what I can prophesy on with faith in my heart. Is you're going to make it. Christ is going to enable you to walk in victory. I, I have genuine faith in my heart to say that. Each and any one of you. I have hope in my heart from the faith that God has given me for each of the brethren. So I can limit. I'm only going to prophesy, as it were, according to the proportion of faith. I don't seek to go beyond what I have. And I'm not ashamed. You know, I should be able to just, you know, Expound everything to do with the, all the prophecies of the, of the Old and New Testaments. And tell us exactly where we are in the biblical map today, you know, and, I'm just a failure of a minister because I can't do that. I don't. I I don't think that way. I'm thankful for those that are far greater than me in the things of God. But I don't worry about feeling inferior to others. And I don't think of anyone as as being inferior to me. I just seek to do what I can. And be faithful with what God has given me. This is the way. Uh, He that giveth, right? With simplicity. Just just do it. <laughs> Get on with it. Same in, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 14. It's a body, variety in God. 
But notice here again, did you notice that word? Grace. To everyone is given grace. Can we forget about focusing on gift and focus instead on grace? Measure of grace. It's Christ in you. By grace, through faith. Christ is all in all. This is why Paul said you all may prophesy. Because the spirit of Christ in all. We're not bustling and jostling to be something. We want him who is everything to fill all things. This is what Paul's writing to the Ephesian church. To everyone is given grace. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. Some ten talents. Some five. We might all feel like we're one talent men and women. As long as we don't bury that talent. As long as we're faithful with it. And let it bear increase. And why? He gave these ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, some think that it's the ministers that are perfecting the saints, doing the work of the ministry, and building up the body of Christ. Now, that's true. But, also true, and in this statement, is that the ministers are given to perfect the saints so that the saints do the work of the ministry because the work of the ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. And that's everybody on board with that. All, all the, the, the teachers and ministers in the church are to do is to um, perfect the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. Paul said, we speak wisdom amongst them that are perfect. Now, people shy away from that word perfect. You know, you think, and I don't know, it means different things to different people. But if I were to cobble out a definition, a crude definition, it would be um, somebody that's spiritually competent. They, um, they have exercise their senses by reason of you spiritually they can walk in the spirit in any circumstance they can commune with the Lord discern his spirit and draw their life and um, sustenance in any circumstance directly from Christ doesn't mean they're without any human foible or fault or failing but they, they live And when someone is like that, the Lord can put them in any circumstance. And so the job of a minister is to um, lead and enable and strengthen each Christian to stand entirely on their own with Christ. So that they have no more need of the minister, more than any other brother. It's the opposite of these ministers that want to, you know, people to be dependent on them. I remember my first pastor saying, if you listen to what I'm saying, I'm trying to do myself out of a job. Christ. I put out a number of um, status uh, posts, um, a series on training children, raising children or on children. I raise my children to be adults, to be my friends, to be my equals, to have fellowship with them. Not to be ever, Dad, what do you want me to do now? But to, I rejoice in their adulthood, their intelligence, the, the, what God has made them to be. And that's what the apostle wants for each of us. He's wanting to raise up people 
who know the Lord and can minister Christ to one another and to him as well. And do the work of the ministry. We, we'll stop here for the, the, the communion. Uh, we'll have to um, continue on this. I know that maybe I spent a fair bit of time on detail and so on. We could tidy up a nice sermon in, in an hour. But uh, I don't regret us spending the time looking at the coronation of David. And thinking of that picture of Christ exalted. I hope he's just that much bigger in our minds, in our hearts this morning. Considering this exalted king dispensing. Right? He was on top. David there, he was in the position of um, untouchable authority now. Everybody was on side. He had the power to just snuff out Ziba for his trickery. Snuff out Shimei. But he was dispensing grace, gifts, benevolence, even for the rebellious. This is the day of grace. Such that even this, what would we call him, this man who was by all uh, inference, formerly a disciple, well enough to know Jesus was blameless, sinless, and had squandered it. And he asks, Lord, have mercy and the crucified Christ made him the first one into heaven that's whose death we're going to remember here now he uh, his kingdom is contrary to all the world's kingdom or rather the world's kingdom is contrary to all his the pomp and the glory of Christ's kingdom are meekness charity kindness not the show off um, bravado, look at me. And he has dispensed the Holy Spirit to each of his children. That Christ would be formed in each. And he suffered tremendously to do it. He left heaven's glory to do it. He embraced the shame and suffering of the cross and shed his blood and had his body broken that we might sit with far greater privilege than Mephibosheth at his table and partake of him, that living bread. He dispensed uh, gifts unto men. Let's, let's remember him. Let us feed on Christ and carry that living word in our hearts through the remainder of days and weeks and live as Jesus did. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Thy law is within my heart. Let it strengthen us in the moments um, when church meeting is far away, when Bible reading is hours preceding, in the little choices that we make of how we're going to spend our time. Let everything be Christ. The ordinary things, changing a baby's diapers, doing dishes for your wives. All the brothers said, Amen. Um, serving a customer at work, dealing with an angry neighbor or somebody else on the road with road rage, praying for them. In every circumstance, let us remember him who died for us and let us labor to build his kingdom. Brother Dave, would you stand and pray for the, uh, the table and...
then we'll we'll start as 